Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. to describe him to the people that come to my courses at Treadless. He was a trust fund kid with a huge trust in magic. And, uh, he was a hipster, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great word that means will, like the will to do things. The will. First of all, what is this? Is this a religion? It is like a magical system? It is a philosophy? I would say it's all these things according to what it, it, what it might be asked to be for you. He reminds me of like a DJ, right? He's like mixing and remixing like beats from different sorts of genres to make like a cohesive piece. How disciplined yes. are you with your magic? Uh, way less than I should be. <laughs> I, I've been very disciplined for, for a long time, or when I was younger and uh, uh, I was like, what starting. Does that look like? What does that look like, that discipline? Like, what would your average day look like when you were really disciplined? Well, well my average day would be like, you know, waking up at 6 a.m. Uh, to, to do the first step of what is called Liberesh. Liberesh is a telemetry ritual whereby you salute the sun at the four stations, so at dawn, at midday, uh, twilight, and then at midnight. So I would do that every day. So I would wake up at 6 or wake up whenever the sun rises, so maybe earlier during the summer, and then and then basically accept like, that day, and then have, you know, uh, every day working with the tarot, studying it, every day working with the pentagram and hexagram rituals, banishing, poking, every day having times of uh, silent meditation, uh, every day, uh, this is something <laughs> incredibly, um, he's all sorts of exercises in liver E and liver O, and, and one of a famous one is, like, you know, like, you, you should try and speak without using the, the the verb to be, which is always very difficult. And, and they say, every time you do it, you should cut yourself on, on your arm, just remember. Uh, and of course, then, you know, if you read, if you read, read the Duquette's uh, book, it's like, well, you don't really have to cut it, you can just have, you know, a rubber band, you just get flick yourself every time you do it. Well, when I was younger, I did cut myself. Because, <laughs> because of course, that's, uh, that's what I like edgy, to educate something, right? So, so, so that was the level of discipline I had, and I had it for a good like ten years. And I guess how did that's you what find the results of your magic because you were so disciplined? I would argue yes, definitely. Um, you, I, I would say that you cannot get points of any system. It's just the dilemma of any system unless you devolve yourself to it, like day day to day uh, for a period of time. Uh, you know, like at some point, I felt like you know, I was like starting around like 15. When I was like 25, 27, I felt like you know, like I had this experience. I did it. Um, I can now, I can now be, I can get more relaxed about it. But even today, when uh, when I have to prepare for a ritual, that I, especially if something that we do like publicly, like we did like one two days ago uh, for Halloween, uh, you you want to prepare yourself with a more disciplined regime. At least for, I'd say, like a week before. And this, in, for me, a more disciplined regime these days is, for instance, like, you know, uh, having a very strong sleeping pack, uh, abstaining for all kinds of excesses because you want to go, like, go, go more inward. That's abstaining for, from sex of all kind because, again, you want to, sex, sexual energy being energy, you want to uh, keep it inside you till, till then you expand it in the day along the day of the ritual. Which doesn't have to be a sexual ritual, ritual, any kind of ritual. That, that kind of energy is good to keep inside before ritual. And you know, eating well, uh, exercising more. And I was running Gnostic masses as priest or deacon in in, in Amethyst Lodge. Then I would do I would do the same. Like we would do a run mass every month. Uh, they still do. And by the way, if you're in London, go to Amethyst Lodge and see their masses because they're very good. Uh, and they're they're generally good people. But that's really good. Um, 
And as I said, you prepare yourself before the ritual, uh, and it, it, it can be very can be very strict and very disciplined. Let me ask you about the the lesser banishing ritual. So I think that's oftentimes, for me at least, that was one of the first things that I did that was like sort of high magic. Step forward with the left foot. At the same time, thrust your arms forward so that your hands point to the middle of the pentagram before you. The sign of the enterer. So I was told, oh, you need to do this every single day, and what it's going to do is it's going to banish all the bad spirits around you. Now I'm learning that it's not actually a banishing, that it's, uh, you're actually calling in angels, but then you're not telling them what to do, so it's not that... Anyways, people are telling me lots of different things. What is LBRP? Why do people do it? And what's the best way to do it? Because I think a lot of people, they do it. And that's the first thing that they learn how to do. It's a good, it's a good exercise because it's not, it's not a banishing. And what, what a banishing is, is like, like just, you know, almost like taking an astral shower before doing anything else. Maybe, you know, dusting your astral space before doing it. And that is definitely true that it, it's, it's not an invocation and an evocation. Like you pull certain energies inside you and then you project these energies in the quarters around you in order to have the most like having those pillars around you that then you can go back into the middle and do whatever else you want to do. Or even doing just that, it is it is a great way of just becoming acquainted with the fins of magic. Uh, there, are diff- there are many different ways of doing it. Uh, and especially, I mean, personally, it's not one that I use much anymore because what I use is called the Star Ruby, which is the telemic version of it. So uh, and it substitutes like the names of the, the archangels with uh, with the telemic gods. Like you have like Babylon and Therion, you have Nunit instead of uh, Michael, Uriel, Raphael, and Gabriel. Uh, so in a way that that kind of give you a telemic spin, and also so. There are other ways for it, but let's let's keep it simple. Um, I would say that the best way of learning it is just, you know, just going back to, I mean, it comes from the Golden Dome, right? So just going back to you know, Israel Regardi's big tome on the Golden Dome, see what he, see what he says, and just try it. Uh, that is good. That is good enough. Uh, I would say that if you if you do a ritual like this constantly, and if you I mean, it's, it's, not like, it's not like you become a superman or anything like that. But by repetition and by opening yourself to these channels, you can you can start to get insights about what is what these energies are, are really are. Because when you think about, for instance, the four archangels, those are again they are uh, symbols of the elements. So what you're really doing with the pentagram is it's a ritualistic way to establish the elements in the space around you and inside you in order that interaction of these fundamental energies will open yourself to your fifth element. So that's the pattern of mind when you get to the fifth point. And if you want to have another look at it, when you, when you say, well, yeah, but what are the elements? You have hurt. What, what, what does it mean? But think of hurt as body sensations. So if you invoke hurt, you will become more aware of your body, what your body feels, what, what you feel in your bones, really. When you think about air, it's your thoughts. When you think about fire, it's your emotions. When you think about water, it's your feelings. And these are four fundamental blocks of the human experience. Because first, of, most of the time, we can be, you know, we cannot feel. Maybe we don't feel good about our bodies, and so that's what maybe you want to invoke earth. Uh, we we have like very heavy things, then we can dispel them like with air. We have like maybe we are going through terrible heartbreak. And that's where you want to rebalance your feelings and your emotions to water and fire. So by doing this interplay of, of these four fundamental elements, then you can, you, can, you can reach your fifth element. That's where you can really get a connection with the spirit. And by doing that, you're finally able, having you know, established those four pillars, and you being the center, the fifth one in the middle, you are finally able to, to open yourself to more deeper and more high magical works, which is, you know, going and meeting the gods, whatever the gods are for you. Wait, so, so LBRP is 
would you say that it's a good daily exercise, like almost like a warm up? Is that what people should use it for? Not so much for vanishings. I, I would say that it, it, they're they're both things because because by vanishing you are doing a warm up. Imagine like you you want to use this room and this room is all dusty, right? But you want to use it to dance. So first of all, you warm up by dusting all the room. <laughs> You're already doing that. You're doing these things together. So. Uh, banishing it should always be used, but especially for people that start doing magic, always concentrate on the banishings first before you do anything else. Really, it's it, I can't stress this enough. Why? I know it's uh, yeah, because it's it's the one exercise, it's the kind of ritual that will uh, will teach you how to feel different things again, but without without putting yourself too much at arms in arms in arms risk in arms way. Because all you're doing is just like it's working on yourself and just pulling pulling upon you positive uh, positive energies, if you wish. Uh, you can see them as the archangels of the tradition, traditional uh, Golden Dawn system. You can see as the gods of the land. Uh, or, or you can even see them as, as speed up elements. Like, but by doing that, you're warming up, you're becoming more, uh, more familiar with this different feeling, and uh, and, and no, nothing bad can really come from it, really. Whereby lots of people that I, especially I read on uh, on, on online, uh, that's, that's going like work with Goisha, I mean, that's going like evoke demons. Uh, I've done it. I mean, it's definitely something that it's 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 good to do. It's definitely it's definitely good to do because that's the next step. But that is the next step. You you want to balance yourself first. Before opening yourself up to something different, um, so yeah, don't do that, kids. <laughs> just just start just start with banishments. Banishments, banishments is good. For a completely new magician going into ceremonial magic, and who wants to do it from a more thelema uh, sort of framework, what what would you suggest they start with? Uh, I would say the middle doer before the, the lesser banishment ritual. Focusing and vibrating the god name helps keep your mind concentrated. Yahweh Elohim. Because the middle pillar can be done. Um, you, you, you can put up like a like path working. So, I mean, I recorded one for my students, and uh, so basically, you, you listen to the voice of someone else that guides you. Okay, so and it's very it's very passive. There, you don't have to remember signs. You don't have to remember names. You, you really don't have to vocalize much. When when you do, you basically repeat someone else's voice, so it's it's easier. Uh, I would say so. Middle pillar is what I would suggest everybody to start with. Um, For how long? And I would say well, all the all of them. Well, six months is very minimum. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of time. I know. Most people it, are going to be like, I want to, I want to do all that, you know, like uh, crazy stuff quicker than six months. But you're recommending six months. I'm not one for shortcuts. Okay. Like, I, possibly because I, I, I did take shortcuts when I was younger, and I, I it didn't work. <laughs> it can be, you uh, know, and. When I was like, when I was very young. I was like, I don't need to do all these things. I get it, and uh, and my 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 results were not as good as then when I decided to go back and say, you know what, let's let's stick to the plan, even if it feels boring. But having having you know a six months plan whereby you decide for a very simple set of um, rituals. Okay, let's say the middle pillar, the LBRP, uh, maybe Liberesh, which is that that um, you know four days. Um, salutations of the sun. Uh, you do that for six months while writing also a magical diary, which is again, it's a fundamental practice that I, I, everybody says, oh, I don't need to write a diary. No, you do, because it's a practice as well. It's like you know, you, you put your will towards doing every day something that might feel boring, and it does. Trust me. I mean, I hate writing. I'm not a writer myself. Um, I, I, God's, I hate that. <laughs> I hate it like quick, but. Not only puts you like you know, puts you in a, in a different perspective, like I'm doing this and I'm sticking to this plan. Uh, it's also very useful going back after many years, going back to what you wrote and reading some insights maybe you forgot. 
and maybe you wrote something down that only makes sense many years later. And this is how, these are like Western Hermetic tradition, magical tradition, that's how it works, like putting together almost scientifically, I mean Crowley did speak about scientific illuminism after all, uh, a series of notes that you can then go back and, and make sense of. Uh, so I would say uh, you, cannot, you, you cannot do it without this at least six months of intense, everyday work on something that seems very simple and maybe very boring. Uh, but I would argue that if you, if you do it rightly and if you stick to the plan, uh, even like one month in, like the LBRP will feel different. Two months in, the LBRP will feel different. After six months of doing it every day, I, I, I'm not sure if you then will see, you know, the angels appearing as Regardy and others say, but maybe you will, because um, because, because this is like, it's really, really is like going to the gym. Um, there's, it's almost like a gym for the spirit. Uh, you you want to do it again and again and again. You want to be disciplined about it because that's when you really see the difference. Um, it is definitely true that magic can magic can exist, but you know. Understanding a sigil, writing down a sigil, activate a sigil, whatever you want, and then get results. But my experience in doing that kind of approach, or my chaos magical approach, is that it worked only for very simple things, which is like, oh, I want to get laid, I want to get a better job, which you know, for most people that's all it matters, and that's fine. I'm not judging. But if you, if your, if your end game is like, I want to transcend. The human condition, which is the end game for magic, I want to create, a, you know, an alchemical uh, formula inside me that transcends the lead that is humanity into the gold that is God or gods. Whatever I say, that is that requires a completely different set of uh, approaches, <laughs> and uh, and you know, you cannot do without really going for, for the basics for a long time. You know what? I think you're completely right about that because if I'm looking back to my magical journey, it took about six to eight months of doing a lot of shadow work, a lot of things that didn't seem very magical first. Um, I wasn't really throwing a lot of spells. I was just doing tons and tons and tons of shadow work and just a lot of like energy work. And it was only after that, and I was doing a lot of chakra work actually. Take the shortcuts, maybe if you wanted something and you do it one time and it happens. It's almost like because you didn't expect it to happen, it'll happen. But then you try to repeat it again it doesn't work. Or, or it won't work out again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I, I, what you're saying is, this has been my experience as well. Um, I would argue because, like, we we are almost like a battery, right? And we need to, our, our magical, mystical body, if you wish, needs to be uh, activated and then sustained in order to then produce the energy needed to, to do whatever it is that you want to do. And of course, we're, we're, we're using highly unscientific terminology because mag magic is not science. Or rather, magic can be, can be approached in a scientific method, which is, again, it's what Crowley wanted to do and what Telema should really do. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about things that you know, science has not codified yet. Maybe will one day, maybe not. What, what, what is important is that uh, you know, by doing certain things, certain results happen. And I'm quoting Crowley as well, again, because he, in uh, magic, uh, magic in practice, he writes, I mean, not quoting verbatim, but it was like, in this book, we speak of Sephiroth and planes and gods. It's absolutely, it's not, it's not important to know if those things are real or not. What is important is that if we, if we do certain things, certain results happen. And that is, I would say that is the scientific approach to magic, and it's what we've been discussing right now. Like, by by sticking to the plan, by you know, creating like a, a, a roadwork to from from zero to hero, <laughs> and we by sticking to that, then we can then say, okay, yes, I will I will I will obtain results. Uh, if sigil magic, which is again, I always go back to it, and I want to explain that sigil magic is incredibly powerful. But imagine if you do sigil magic, you throw your sigil once. Anywhere. And and then you do it again after having done the six months of intense, you know, work on yourself. Then it's not working. It's going to be like you, you can do sigil of everything, and it will always hit. <laughs> that was the way, way about it. So I'd say that even if you decide to, to go for a more uh, deconstructivist approach to magic, which is sigil, again, 
having that kind of uh, background, having that kind of, um, uh, I would say, physical education about magic, it will, it will, it will pay a lot. So yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just like a young Wiccan people who are doing candle magic. Now you take a very experienced witch, and she could do candle magic, and it's going to be some powerful, intense shit. But a yeah. lot of young people, they just do the candle magic, thinking they'll get the same results but they haven't done the energy work or all that shadow work beforehand, so their results are, you know? So, again, it's like when people come to me and they're just like, well, you know, I did the same ritual you did, but I didn't get the same results, therefore magic is not real. Saying, well, you didn't do the, you know, eight months of energy work that I did beforehand. So you didn't do the same thing that I did. Precisely. And I will start, you know, know what, that's also fine because... uh, it could, I mean, in academic terms, I would say that's not their will uh, to, to, to work with magic. Magic is something that everybody can do if it's their will. <laughs> and, you know, that applies if you if you put all the necessary effort to to get to the point. Uh, some people don't, and, uh, and that's fine. That's okay as well. You know, like, uh, we, we cannot... We can't kind of like force people to do what they don't want to do. I mean, that's, that's anathema to the land. <laughs> it really is. And, um, uh, I know that... Crowley, he wrote a ritual to get knowledge and contact with your holy guardian angel. So, have you done that? I've done that. Uh, I've done that many, many years ago. Uh, well, what Crowley did, really, uh, he, he tried to enact uh, a ritual for the Abramelic work, mm-hmm. which is a very intense, this is a six-month work, uh, of d- doing way more than just like middle pillar and fresh and you have to go and basically have a specific house away from the world with a specific temple yeah. and basically for six months do intense invocations and evocations every day. Um, I tried that and uh, I mean, I I didn't stick to the six months, but I, I, I mean, honestly with you, I was doing all the things right. Uh, what, what, when I arrived to the knowledge and conversation of my old guardian angel, it's I did it through a, pers- a private ritual, because what, what Crowley also writes is that while you know Abramelin is a way to, to through it, uh, he then writes something called Liber Samach for uh, one of his disciples at the Abbey of Telema, and and that's a way that was right for that person. Um, he also says that each and everybody has to find their ritual that will get them to their own goal. Because the Oligar and the Ninja can be seen as the, can be understood on, on one level as your personal God, your personal connection with Godhood, okay? And uh, and that's, so that means that every ritual you write, every, every, sorry, every, every ritual you read uh, can only be an inspiration for you to go and create your own ritual. Oh, he's so chaos goal. magic, yeah. But in a way, in a way, it is, you know, because uh, because only you can know the name of your God, and I cannot know the name of your God. You cannot know the name of mine. So how are you going to call something that for someone else? Like even Crowley Lieber Samak, uh, he wrote something that is very like very um, based on the on the ritual of the headless man, or the headless one, and on Goisha, but. At the end of the day, it's but also like tailored for this, this person, specific person, and even then, the specific person should have done work to you know change it for itself. Um, whenever I've been asked in, in Telema without tears, we did we did a liver stomach, and uh, yeah, I mean, I really I rushed the things, <laughs> of course, but it worked. Um, Wait, for, course, least, I mean, for for that ritual, okay, so Abramelin, it takes like at least six months, right? How about for Libra Samek? Well, Libra is uh, is way faster. It can be it can be done from, from beginning to the end in a couple of hours, and uh, so it's very it's still very long. It still requires a lot of focus, and you need to be uh, familiar with with a lot of like uh, uh, gestures, words, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it can be done. Of course, the concept is that what I told the students at the at the of the tears course is like we're doing this as an example of what it's like to put together a ritual towards that experience. You will not get that experience from this ritual because we haven't done like the years of work that we get, uh, and also because some it was done for a specific person. But 
something that I, I had a very good feedback because a couple of people like wrote me back and was like, you know, like this inspired me to write this. What do you think about it? And, and I even tell it that you know, even by trying to do something that's very advanced uh, in, in a in a in a very uh, in a very uh, I would say. Uh, controlled environment, because I was there, and a couple of other people that, that experienced Fondilio and other groups that I met, they were there as well just to make sure that if anything went wrong, which never, never really does, but you never know, you could be, I could be there. But it definitely inspired a couple of students to just go through that, possibly they were already on the path to discover their, their own goal, or their connection with the guardian angel. And Old Holy Diamond, Strata Hacker, uh, just published this beautiful book called Holy Diamond uh, for Scarlet Imprint. And uh, it's like his, his own telling of what, what the concept is, what he did, and what he suggests people to do. So definitely check that book out, it's amazing. Uh, but yeah, that's something I did as well in the course. Like, I, I show you what Crowley suggested to do. And I can tell you, like I said, this couple of people, they're definitely more. Advanced, but you know, advanced it's not that they were better, but it's like more down the down the path, if you want, and uh, and they're like they're now experienced, they're now like uh, trying to come up with better refined refined versions of their own ritual, and then they'll do it, and possibly they'll have results, you know. So the other angel is one of the two main points in Telemo. Like, there's two fundamental steps in Telemo. The one. One is the knowledge and conversation, and that is when, after having balanced your pentagram, as we were seen before, you 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 get you get to know the hexagram. That is, you get into this communion, which is can be seen of a spiritual, sexual nature with the guardian angel. You receive your guardian angel as always as the bride in the group structure. So you always take the role of, of seeing, receiving energies, like your cup that needs to be filled by this divine energy. And that's that's the most important level, the first important step. The second important the second important, important step is the crossing of the abyss. That is when you transcend when you transcend geometrically and you you end mystical state of pain. So I've done the first step, I haven't done the second. I can have a just a, just a general idea of what the second is like, but knowledge uh, precision is something that can be done. I would say like if you're really dedicated, if you do if you're like Crowley, you have like millions in the back, so you don't have to work. Um, you can you can do it in five years, maybe even less. Of you know, really like really focused. It took me ten years to get there the first time, uh, but you know, I was in university, I was working, I was touring. Uh, yeah, between twenty-two, between my twenty-two years old, and when I was thirty-three, I pretty much like eleven years I was on tour. So yeah, I was doing magic in backstage's room. <laughs> You know that rooms pretty much, but um, it can. What be made done. you start magic so early? I start because because I, I found Crowley in uh, in a in a comic in Italian comic book called Martin Mister in the summer of 1990 when I was 12, and um, that summer was very interesting for me because I had uh, like one of my uncles died all of a sudden, and my mom was her favorite brother. So she was very, very sad, and I was very young, I was 12. Uh, so I, I, I spent that, that summer mostly on my own reading, even more than I used to do before, because I grew up in this big house with uh, books everywhere, and we were pretty far away from the city center, so I didn't have any friends till I finally started having yeah, mid-teens. Mid so I read a lot. In summer of 1990, I discovered Crowley, and then I was like, oh, this, this is cool. At first, because it's like, you see, like this bold man that's saying, like, we can spend the word. I was like, that's cool. <laughs> uh, and I was, I was a budding goth already, so I was like, oh, he dresses all in black, and he likes demon. That must be cool. <laughs> so that's how I discovered him. Uh, but yeah, I, mean, uh, I would say that I, I, I received my first initiation when I was 18. Uh, so yeah, I did start very early, I would say. And uh, I'm 40 now, so it's been, it's been quite, it's been quite, a, quite, quite some time, <laughs> pretty much. But it still would take me like 10 years to, so I would say between 18 and 28 before I, I think I did, I did have the experience of the Holy Guardian Angel. It's about the long term. I, I remember talking to Aiden Walker. And he was saying, you know, magic is a long-term commitment, basically. And just like what you said, it, you know, rather than shortcuts, if you see it as a long-term investment, then the results, they're so much better. 
and they're so much better and they're more lasting and and they reverberate on your entire life which will uh, enrich your life in 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 very simple ways like you know, you'll be better in relationships you'll be better at, uh, at your job you'll be better you'll be, you'll be better you will be a better person it doesn't mean that you become like uh, match Jesus because that's what some people think and that's what some people like get completely deluded but in general magic is not just about you know oh I'm this degree or I can see demons or I can see angels magic is about being the best person you can be and uh, and it's, it's it's a lifetime commitment because it's about growing into your skin like into your real skin finding your true will it's it's about that, that being the best person you can be. So you've actually had a long career in music. This is my So I'm wondering how much the occult and magic influenced your career in music. Uh, in a lot of the songs that I made with SPA and Fader over the years, there are there are there are, there are themes. But um, what I always wanted to avoid is become like a, an esoteric band or an esoteric musician because uh, I grew up listening, I don't know, to black metal and lots of that was super cringy. Come on, guys, you don't have to try that hard. Okay, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so. At the end of the day, it's aesthetics. Uh, it works for some people. Uh, it worked for me for a while, and then it did not. So for me, it was like, if you read some lyrics, uh, even when I was in Redwood for a while, like there, there are, there's a lot of like Thelemic references in it, but it's not, it's not like in your face. It, it, you will never hear about Crowley, or you never really anything like directly from the books. Apart, there's one song called "The Night of Pan," which is definitely like a reference to something specific to like it, but that's the only the only song like all the songs we've done uh, but if you then uh, the lyrics of some songs we speak about what the will and uh, uh, it's, it's been there it's been disseminated all over the all over the, uh, the lyrics at the end of the day though what I was what I became somewhat famous for in, in that music business is like it's got industrial music and and it was always like you know Dance music. Dance music for gods. That's what I did. I imagine like the prodigy. That, that's the that's something like seem uh, the closest you can get. Uh, so so it's, it's a dance music. It's art hitting. It's not something that you would hear uh, on a Buddha bar compilation, of course. But at the end of the day, it was music made for people to go out and dance and have fun. So to try and then put like more like more. Uh, overly magical or mystical elements in it, I always felt a bit jarring to me. Um, and then, like, like I said, like, I, I did it for a long time, and then at some point, it's like 2012, more or less, uh, I felt like I need, I need to step back, uh, because first of all, this, that scene kind of died down, and uh, you know, when, when, when music is your main breadwinner, when you're doing that as a professional, you also have to think about, well, this is not paying the bills anymore. <laughs> you, need to, you need to move on. And I didn't really wanted to do any else I don't. I never wanted to try another genre, and I wanted to do like any soundtracks or whatnot. Because what I really enjoyed about music was like the touring side, like going out and playing and uh, partying. Almost the partying. Yeah, that was, was it. it was a lot. There was a lot of hedonism involved, and uh, uh, and that was like yeah, you know, sitting in a studio making music for I don't know movie soundtracks that, that that's not me you know I've done it but and I know it's because I know that's not me right uh, for me it was almost about like performing more than producing uh, my friend Sammy which is a singer of Fader is Fader still going in fact like in two weeks I'm, I'm playing with them in Germany again because like I haven't done it like last time I played I was on stage was three years ago now so and he was hey why don't you come back and I was, Okay, I have a free, now that I have free weekends, because I, I'm not an amethologist anymore, uh, yeah, I can actually come again. But it, it's not something that it's my, it's my main, uh, main focus anymore. How did and, uh, magic help? Because I think that a lot of young people, they want to do something creative. They want to go out and tour the world. 
they want to do all this stuff, um, but they feel like they're blocked in some way. So I've always been like, well, you know, magic it up then. So how did magic help you create that life for yourself? Well, I would say by manifesting my will, literally, because um, when I started XBA in 2001, I, it was like, I was like, say five years into doing magic at the time and I was like I was four years into initiation in the, in the AA uh, so I mean there was something already happening there and uh, and I was thinking you know imagine imagine the situation I, I'm, I'm in Rome Rome in the 90s and early 2000s it's like it's this black hole <laughs> because there's nothing at all uh, being alternative being like liking alternative music meant to, to, to go to this one little shop it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's considered Musicali in the embassy center where you find, you know, CDs imported from America at astronomical prices. I mean, it was very difficult to, to manifest that, okay? Uh, but I felt that that was that was, that, that was what I wanted to do. And I'm not sure if I am. I mean, I can tell you, actually, I, I never did anything magical to manifest it directly. But I would say that by working on myself towards my true will, I was manifesting it. And, and what happened there is that, in fact, starting from 2002, uh, up until those 10 years, more or less, that was like almost like the, that, that scene I was in kind of exploded and had its own entire arc. Like, by, by 2008, 2009, we were, we were, we were very successful. We were, I was making a good living out of it, nothing else. And uh, during the war, and... Uh, and I would, I would say, like, did I do it? Or, I mean, of course, I didn't do it myself. I, I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And I was clearly like, going towards my true will. And then the, the inertia of the universe, as they say, like, helped me along. So if you feel like you're called to do something, if you think you want to do you want to be a musician, or you want to be an actor, or you want to be an artist, uh, magic can and will help you because it will give you the focus needed to just then go towards that direction, which from time to time might have all twists and turns, and then you think, you know, the path is from A to B, but in fact it's from A to Z, B, <laughs> you get to B, right? Uh, and magic will, will definitely give you the, the clear clarity of mind to, to go there. Um, you can also, you know, do, like, you know, do rituals and <laughs> try to, to invoke that into your life. Uh, and again, if, you, if you're doing it with the, right, with the right mindset, and if you do it with the you know, without rushing it and thinking, okay, I'll, I'll do it and tomorrow I'll get it, uh, it will definitely help you out, absolutely. Um, even even going back to what we were saying before, like even having a, a practice of simple, simple rituals will definitely help you to, to strengthen your resolve, to, to be yourself. And if, 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 if you find that being yourself is really being a musician, like it was for me, up until it wasn't anymore, that's interesting as well, uh, then you, you, you do it, and then whenever you feel like that experience is over, you'll be able to manifest the next chapter of your life I'm or whatever. I'm thinking that you went into the world of the occult, like publicly after your music career. Uh, yes, I know. Um, while, while, I was, uh, while I was a musician, a full-time musician, I was also running this group in Italy called Labirinto Stellare, which means uh, Stellar Maze, with, uh, with another person. And we were running, I guess it was like the biggest uh, forum on esotericism in Italy at the time. Um, and we, we were really like the first of really speaking about Crowley and Kenneth Grant and Michael Bertio. Um We translated the works of Grant and Bertio in Italian and published it. And this was like, you know, between 2003 and 2006. So, and that's what, when I was already like, I like started my music career. Then I would say that I kind of went more into, I don't want to say into hiding, but I didn't like, I didn't have the time to develop it as much as before or now. It wasn't really up until I stepped back from, from the music business that I went, I went back 100% into, into magic as well, which is what I'm doing now, of course. Uh, so now that you're doing magic full-time and it's a career and also your personal free time, I guess, it's kind of devoted to magic as well. What are some things, well, first of all, what does your day look like now? like in terms of magical rituals or magical daily practices? Um, I tend to have, you know, uh, what's that, Star Ruby, which Star Ruby is kind of like my, my thing. <laughs> uh, it's a ritual that I really grown to love and to understand maybe 
deeper levels because let's say the Ruby is the telemic um, LBRP, but there's there's much more than that and uh, the, the energies you pull are strictly dynamic energies and they're like very empowering. So I that I, I, I keep like a daily practice of the Ruby. I keep a daily practice of tarot reading. Well, it's more like you know meditating on you know, getting a card out of the deck and meditating meditating on it and using using the deck not just to read your future, but more about, okay, this card, what what does it mean? Why 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 today? And then try, you know, to get almost using the card as a door to get into the card and have these these shades and these scores and these figures like telling you something. And that's something I would say those are the two things I, I do daily. Uh, which is way less than what I've <laughs> what I've been saying before because of course I almost don't do rush anymore. Um uh, I would say not not in a, a overly ritualistic way. If you if you stop for a second of, know, when it's noon uh, and you stop for a second and think about what the station of the sun after you've done rush for many years, that that could be enough. Uh, but you you, you got to get there, so <laughs> don't skip the steps before. Um, I would say, and then you know the kind of work I do right now you know, with, with the students I have or you know with the work we're doing right now with the uh, EGU at Glass and Astro Universalis um, that is that is a magic that is a magical practice by itself because when you when you have like people coming to you asking questions and you engage with them uh, on a daily on, on a daily basis that 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 becomes a magical magical uh, interaction anyway um, again when it comes to preparing for rituals uh, then, then it's different. Like I would say, like in the previous week leading to Halloween, when we did this public. Uh, oh yeah, I saw public. that on Instagram. The pictures that you took. Again, it was um, an invocation on, on, based on the Starubi, but instead of being for one person, I had like four, four people from my group around me that uh, each one would like embody one of the four gods. So yeah, Babylon and Therian and Hadith, and they were they, they were they were saying something back to me. Uh, well, it's fine. Well, the story is like it's a personal thing you do it on your own. And um, to get there, I, I went back into very, very, very strict practice uh, of seven days of you know eating well, abstaining from sex, and uh, all kind, and uh, abstaining uh, from certain things. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then doing some 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 more like private practice, like some the, like the Mass of the Phoenix. It's um, a, a ritual that Crowley wrote as you know one person uh, a reenactment of the Gnostic Mass. Uh, so I would do that every day, and that 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 means you know like creating like things of light and burn them and eat them and uh, you know, throw some of your blood and put the blood into the cake. So it's a bit more complicated, but it's. Um, it's the kind of stuff. It's the kind of energy that I needed to get to to, 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 to prepare to the ritual. Uh, so it's very modular. From time to time, it can be just as simple as Taruby and uh, tarot reading, well, tarot meditation, Jewish. Well, you know, I read somewhere. Speaking of other things that you had to abstain from, I read somewhere that you're a psychonaut. Uh -huh. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what I did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so okay. I Most okay. people. <laughs> probably have never heard of that word. They'd be like, psycho? You mean like that movie Psycho or somebody Psycho? And they've probably heard of astronaut, but not psycho not. What is a psycho? Well, uh, psychonaut, well, it's a term that comes directly from the high day of Chaos Magic, I would say. Uh, it's something that I took from Robert Anton Wilson, uh, the Illuminatus trilogy, which is something I suggest everybody to read because it's fantastic. Wait, what is this book title again? It's called the Illuminatus trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shee. Psychonauts are basically people that try to is explore the the more subtle words through the use of, of drugs of various kinds, and by uh, by using them using drugs in a controlled ritualistic making sure that you which is very very difficult make sure you don't become addicted to it because the moment you become addicted to it you forsake your free will and. Uh, and so basically, you, you, you're just not using the drug anymore. The drug is using you, and uh, that's something that I really explored a lot in my magical work when I was younger. Uh, not as much anymore because you know, as you grow older, your body <laughs> takes forever to recover from anything. Even from like, <laughs> I used to drink without having uh, hangovers. Now I, I go out one night, and the next day is miserable. 
I'm out for a week. I used to never have hangovers of any kind. So, you know, have, engaging in that kind of, uh, in, in, in more psychonaut experiences was easier. Now, uh, you know, it's, it's middle age. It's a different time. <laughs> but I can definitely say that it's been an incredible experience for me to, to really use all kinds of drugs, uh, bar, bar from heroin, which I never found interesting. I never tried it, honestly. Uh, and also, you know, I don't, I never like needles, and that's not for me. Crowley did, Crowley used heroin as well, a lot. But everything else, I did try, and uh, I would say that this is going to be maybe some maybe contentious, but I would argue that if you haven't had that experience, it's difficult. It's way more difficult for you to to understand how subtler planes works. And uh, it's difficult, more difficult to see those things. Um, I would say that if it's possible, I would suggest anybody to find, you know, maybe to go to Peru or maybe go to Mexico and have a real ayahuasca ceremonies, like because those are intense and very intense physically as well. But the kind of like insight you get when you come out of it, it's it really helps magic. It really because then you then you can try and go back to those states without the drug. Uh, and, and you can you can you can reach the same states without the drug, but almost like the drugs are these things in, that nature put there for us to have almost like a gentle nudge towards that. Well, in case of ayahuasca or peyote, they're not so gentle. <laughs> but yeah, I would definitely say that. So that's what that's what psychonauts do. Like they, they use these drugs in a in a ritualistic environment in order to. To open gates that are, I would, I would say they're locked, but much they're very rusty. So if you try to push something that's very rusty, it can be, or, or you can use oil, and then it becomes easier to open the gate. <laughs> it's the oil. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. And it seems like a lot of people in magic, they're, they're becoming really big proponents of using drugs in a ritualistic way. Why do you think people are starting to get really, really into it? Is it because drugs are becoming more legalized? I would say I would say that yes, uh, we are we are. I mean, despite living in a period of time where it seems like we're almost going backtracking, you know, with all the the, the far right shit that's happening in the world right now, it's also true that we do live in much more liberal times. Um, first, we came to accept sex and accept you know difference like let's say homosexuality or gender fluidity, and that was I would say that was the first step. The second step is obviously drugs and. Uh, the problem with drugs is that you need really need to do it in the right way, and uh, it's very easy for the average person to then find uh, and drugs as a, an escape from reality, like you know, like med like self medication. I if you use drugs to medicate yourself, you're doing the wrong way. You need to be healthy first, and then approach something that is that commands respect because it can. Can fuck you up, <laughs> you know, but once you do it in a healthy way, uh, especially maybe with somebody that's gone that's gone there before and can guide you and control you, then then it's it gives you like the tools to, to just do it on your own. Um, I also would like to say it should never that should never be the end game. Drugs can should be used. I would say not at the very beginning. Maybe like you you medicate yourself, you heal yourself first. Then you get to a stage where you can use drugs, but then you have to move away from drugs again. Because uh, if you if you always use crutches to walk, then you never really walk. So at some point you can like, remove the crutches and then start walking on your own. That doesn't mean that you don't you never go back to them. Uh, but it's like the, the psychonaut uh, experience. It's uh, it's it's one that starts and ends. I always like to ask my guests about three songs that represent their magic. Now, you're a DJ, so I'm guessing that the songs that you're going to suggest, I probably have never heard of, which is going to be super awesome. But yeah, what are three songs that represent you as a magician? That's, <laughs> okay. I can think of two immediately, so I'll tell them about two of One is, um, there's a song by Tori Amos called Crucify. Nothing to do is good enough for you Crucify myself Every day Which is, Tori Amos is one of my favorite. I, I love her, I always love her. And that song really spoke to me because, you know, it's about being different. 
and about feeling different and then finding the strength to transcend that difficulty. Uh, different, uh, feeling different. And uh, it's a great song, and, and that's, that's one. Uh, the second one is this song by this um, Irish band called Therapy, question mark, and it's called A Moment of Clarity. Blank and starving eyes In this one moment of clarity Blink the darkness in my eyes And your lips like blues vulva Your ass like Jesus free Worth kissing I'll give yourself to me Which is a song about, you know, heartbreak and the uh, learning how to, to deal with it. And for me, uh, it spoke to me because uh, relationship has been, has been like romantic relationship is something that's been like very important in my life. When I was when I was growing up, I was really trying to find myself into like, just was, like uh, validating myself through relationships. And then one day, after I, I had that experience of birth angel, I realized that the relationship that makes sense is the one with yourself. When you become really healthy and fully centered on yourself, that's when then you can open yourself to have healthy relationship with others. So that's and this song is called A Moment of Clarity, which is uh, it's it's very it's very dark. It's a very dark song. So did you have like a, a specific moment of clarity and that's why that song speaks to you? Yes, absolutely. I would say that I had it especially because I transcended at some point uh, Exactly what they sing about, like having having, having to to deal with with heartbreak and things that never work out, and then one day it's like no, if you see them from another perspective, and that that was like a very like magical alchemical transformation moment. The last song, I think, it was the last song. I think it's this song from this uh, British doom metal band called Paradise Lost. Here. It's a very, uh, it's a very like obscure uh, B-side from their to the 1996 uh, single of this song called "Forever Failure," and that was like this little like B-side. And um, actually, I have have the two here. One of the things here is it says "Learning from the Sorrow," which is something that uh, that's the other part that like I try to escape sorrow and. Uh, and pain. Many people. What magic taught me is that only by facing those things you really fear, that first sorrow and pain, only through that you can you can and then you can you can revisit those bad experiences, but without having an emotional attachment. The emotional attachment is there, but it's like it doesn't weigh you down. So, in your career as a DJ, what three songs have you made? And they don't have to be magic related at all, but what three songs have you made that you feel really represent you, that you're really proud of? Uh, one is called uh, Your Love, which is from the last thing we have left us, the last song we have got. There's this other song uh, called Cutting and Drinking. relationship with blood and sex <laughs> which is, I, I would say that that is the, that is the most famous songs we ever made especially because these other bands we were I was in at the time Grando uh, they did a remix of it and it, it became like it became a bit of a hit like if you go on, on Spotify it has like thousands and hundreds of thousands of listeners and like people still listen to it to this day and like I would say that that's the song that I, I'm famous for and uh, so that that's especially because it speaks of me of my more hedonistic times, and it was, was fun. <laughs> it was fun. 
And I would say that the last one is is the song by my favorite, and it's called Banish. Is, um, it's a song about uh, again about how can I say like vanishing to yourself in a way and uh, and finding finding that center to the point that you know almost like separate yourself in the universe. Which this this was kind of magic related to be fair, but those three songs, uh, yeah, that, 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 those are the ones I'm, I'm most proud for. You've sort of retired from full time being a DJ, but you still do some dates, and you do still tour yes. a little bit. Like I said, I haven't done it, I, I mean, I retired in 2012, then the, I kept I kept doing dates till 2016, and uh, and I haven't done ever since, because the last three years, last, last three years now, almost three, it's where, you know, I, I, was, I really got involved a lot into the audio um, activities, and that was that was that was another potential. Pretty much like you, you were always you always like every weekend uh, busy in a way, or either at official events or unofficial events. So you were, were always there. Um, honestly, like I said, like one of the one of the good things about living the audio, which are not many because I kind of I miss it. It's just that I could not be there anymore, as I told you. Before. But one of the good things is that I, I, I have free time again. <laughs> like, yeah, that's okay. I, Actually, I'm going to be in London next June for the Magical Women Conference. Well, I am one of the sponsors of the conference. Like, the Cousinostica Universalis is, we're one of the sponsors of the conference. So, well, we'll, we'll meet in London. <laughs> That'll be awesome. Yeah. First time I'm going to be in London. So, everybody's giving me all these suggestions of magical places to visit. I mean, that entire island, it seems very magical. I mean, all of Europe. Any place that has a lot of it, basically the entire world is magical. Right? <laughs> I, would say, I would say it's true that uh, the UK, um, I would say UK and Ireland is specifically very magical, possibly because being being island and having had so much cultural uh, relevance on, on the on the scene, uh, yeah, you you find magic everywhere here. London, in, London, London is magic everywhere. Um, something that I've been doing, I've been going into recently, is uh, psychogeography. Uh, especially working with David Southwell of Hookland. Uh, Hookland is this magical um, operation he's doing on Twitter. Uh, he, crea he created a, a fictional county here in London where all kind of strange stuff happens. And um, and we, I mean, um, I met him like around a year ago because he's a fan of my music, so he contacted me. And, uh, and I was like, wow, well, I'm a fan of your stuff, so let's uh, start with working. And it's all about, you know, going around walking around the city, walking around the country and finding the spirits of the of the of the place and getting in communion with them and then creating stories about them. So well, when you when you're gonna be here in London, trust me, you are gonna love it because you'll find spirits of the place everywhere. Some projects that are coming up for you that you'd like the audience to know about. Well uh, if definitely uh, what we're doing with Ecclesia Gnostica Universalis is we're trying to create a new group here in London at first, and then maybe expand, whereby Thelemites, or people who know about Thelema, can come and experience, uh, you know, the more Gnostic side of Thelema, so the Gnostic masses, in a more relaxed environment. Because again, sadly, as it stands right now, things might change, you know, if there's a leadership change, my perspective will change, but right now I can't suggest anyone to join the audio any longer, because where, but while there's some very good people in them, people in London are great, some people in America are great, people in Italy are great, but it's also, uh, you know, very bad, very nasty people. Florida, in Georgia, in Finland, there's people like in Austria, well, the, the, the main person in Austria is a fantastic woman, but she had to deal with actual neo-Nazis. So, you know, it's... Yeah. I can't, I cannot suggest people say, oh, well, I, I always say, oh, you want to know more about that, come, come to the audio, and now I'm going to do that. So I set up to uh, do the EGU in a way that we can actually propose rituals, in a, also in a less, in a less like, structured environment, because audio has a lot of rules, and um, some of these rules, like, I, I would have never been able to have the discussion with you if I was still an officer of the audio, because they frown upon 
reaching out to people, which for me is completely like against what Yogi was supposed to do, mm-hmm. because he has to promulgate below and uh, whatever. So what I'm, what I'm excited about Yeju is that through working with uh, Georgia van Ralt, uh, which she's a PhD candidate at the University of Sussex, if I'm mistaken, sorry if I'm mistaken, but she's working on um, basically uh, the unfortune and basically reinstalling the unfortune as a as a figure in academia. She's a fantastic writer, and uh, we just released uh, Liber uh, 2018 about Sophia, which is a new Gnostic mass, or rather uh, a new take on the concept of the Gnostic mass, but from a feminine pers- perspective. So while the Gnostic mass has you know a priestess and a priest and a deacon, and it's it's the priest, so the male energy that does a lot of stuff. Uh, lots of people have, um, over the years, criticized this to say, oh, it's a chauvinistic formula. I don't think so at all, because when you study, you realize, you know, yeah, the male and the female come together and they dissipate, so they become one. Uh, it is also true that why why can we have why don't we have to have only one Gnostic class? I mean, we can write other we can write other rituals, and this is the first one. So to express uh, like exploring the Gnostic Thelemic uh, message from a strictly female perspective, uh, which of course I didn't write, because I'm a man. <laughs> I'm a man that identifies as a man, I'm a heterosexual, so I'm like, uh, someone else should do it, and finally, finally it, it, it's happening. Uh, we also, like, going forward, we are thinking of writing even more rituals, and, and just, like, adding to the, to the noses, because what, what, I, what I said at the very beginning is that I would like to get to a point where Telema is Telema, is not Crowley, which doesn't mean that we need to you know, kick Crowley out, because he, he, was, he, was a, he was a great man, he was a flawed man, but he was also a genius under many aspects. And I think it's absolutely fundamental for a Telemite to read Crowley. But it's also fundamental, 114 years after the reception of the Book of the Law, to have new voices coming in. And this doesn't mean, for all the, all the critics that will look at this video, this doesn't mean that I'm the new Crowley. I'm not. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just a clerk, as they say. But it's important to facilitate the growth of the current. And it's important to, to let people speak. And, you know, like, I've seen some criticism coming in for this book we put out, this new ritual we put out, and I welcome it, because it's great that people engage with it and say, well, you know what, this works for me, this doesn't work for me. Uh, Telema is not about dogmas. It's about finding your true will and being free to do so. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we should do very much. Lots of new things that I learned today, things that I didn't really expect to learn, like the fact that now I see Crowley as, as a DJ, you know, like somebody who's taking so many different parts appreciating them, putting them together, corresponding them in a way that kind of makes sense for his audience. That I didn't really expect to learn. Um, Now I feel like I know a little bit more about the OTO. Before, I just thought it was like, I don't know. For whatever reason, I thought OTO and Golden Dawn were the same thing. And then I was like, what, Freemason? You know? So now I'm just like, okay. It's actually kind of like a a gym. It's it's a place where you can exercise Thelema, which I didn't know before. Um, yeah, so I kind of feel as though the things that we covered, I'm sure that we can talk about this forever and ever. I think just from the fundamental aspects of it, I feel a lot more clear about okay. where Crowley and Thelema and OTO and all that is. And sort of now is a good time to take that foundation and for myself and for people in the audience to then be like, okay, what's the next step? And you recommended some great books. So I'll definitely list that below in the description box. So guys, tell us what you think about anything that you've learned new about Crowley. I know the the name, it's sort of like an institution. People have lots of strong opinions about Crowley. Did you have any sort of uh, preconceived notions about who he was? And now you're just like, wait a second, maybe he's not like that. I know I definitely did. So let us know in the comments below. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers, 
they're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan signing off. <laughs>